Hi, and welcome to episode 135 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and today I'm excited to bring you a live interview I had with Paddington Art Prize winner Belinda Street in front of a wonderful Novocastrian audience a couple of months ago. It was arranged by the Newcastle Art Gallery Society, which supports the fantastic Newcastle Art Gallery, currently undergoing an exciting expansion, and I cannot wait to see it when it reopens. At that time, Belinda had her solo show at Straight Jacket Art Space in Newcastle. It was a show of expressive alpine landscapes, including works inspired by Mount Kosciuszko, a place that Belinda returns to again and again. I also filmed Belinda in the gallery the day before our talk, and that video is already on my YouTube channel, and you can find a link to that in the show notes. I particularly loved the paintings of an amazing rock formation called the Organ Pipes, which we talk about in this episode. There are also some fabulous abstract works. And if you're in Sydney in December, you can see a selection of Belinda's wonderful abstracts in Curatorial & Co's group show called Darlings, which starts on 30 November. Details of that show and images of the works we talk about in our conversation are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today for this Q&A with, with the wonderful artist Belinda Street. And before I start, I just wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're talking today, the Awabakal and Waramai people, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And I'd like to start by saying that it's a pleasure to be interviewing Belinda because I first came across her work a few years ago when I opened a show in Sydney and I was so overwhelmed by the quality of the work and I've been following your career ever since. So, you know, congratulations. And we seem to have done a swap because I grew up in Newcastle and moved to Sydney and you grew up in Sydney and moved to Newcastle. Um, And Belinda has a very impressive career. After her Bachelor of Arts in Visual Arts at University of Newcastle, she went to Sydney, studied at the Julian Ashton Arts School. She also went on and did honours at COFA at the University of New South Wales. Uh, she's had 19 solo shows, including the one at Straight Jacket that Prue mentioned. It is brilliant. Please go and see it. And the art space, I must say, is absolutely beautiful. It, and Peter Lancas is also showing at the gallery. So I really recommend you go and see that. And she has won and been highly commended in several art prizes. Most notably, uh, in 2019, she won the Paddington Art Prize, one of the most popular landscape prizes. And every year it attracts entries from our most respected artists. So that is a big deal to win that prize. Her work is held in public collections, including the Newcastle Art Gallery, and of course in many private collections in Australia and internationally. So, Belinda, I'm going to start off with the way I start off with most interviews of artists, and that is to ask what memories you have of art as a child. I wish there were more, really. Um, I grew up in a pretty standard Aussie environment. We didn't go to galleries. None of us were artists. We didn't have any family members that I knew of that were artists. I didn't even know you could be an artist. You know, my mum was a primary school teacher, so... She, um, she liked art and she, it was one of her favourite things to do in the classroom, um, art and music and those sorts of things. But I was always that child with a pencil in their hands. Yeah. Um, and there's a big gap between my siblings and I. Like my sister is nine years older than me. And so it was almost like being an only child 
in many respects. And so I did have a lot of alone time and that was usually spent drawing. So I did art all all the way through high school and for the HSC. Um, I always ask people what was their major work if they did art for the HSC. Um, It was a (laughs) self-portrait. Oh, was it? (laughs) That's interesting because it often, you know, I find that that is often the case. So was it it quite abstract or...? No, not at all. Um, I was pretty mainstream in my thinking, quite literal. You know, I didn't have a lot of guidance when it came to the arts um, to sort of steer me in any kind of direction. So it was really just sorting it out on my own. Well, actually, that, that's interesting that you're saying that was quite a representational portrait because um, you then went on, you know, I mentioned earlier you went to Julian National Art School. And for people who don't know Julian National Art School, it's in Sydney. It's a very traditional art school. It's where you learn how to, you know, you learn drawing from plaster casts and you get in trouble if it's not in proportion and all this sort of thing. So it's interesting. I'm always interested to ask artists who've ended up becoming, you've probably noticed from these slides, become quite expressive and in, in some cases quite abstract. What, did you get anything out of that, that early training which was extremely representational? Do you feel that there is anything that got out of that that is feeding into this? Absolutely. Um, and I sort of did it all the way, wrong way around because I went to uni first and uni um, at the time wasn't particularly known for um, teaching the craft Um, and the technical skills perhaps of painting and drawing. There was a lot of focus on the theoretical and your ideas behind the work. You know, I had some great lecturers at uni who I did learn a lot from, particularly about colour theory. But yeah, I'd done three years at uni and then I think I'd been out for maybe a year or two and I won that uh, scholarship to Julian Ashton and that was from winning the Mossman Youth Art Prize. So yeah, so that meant what a year at Julian Ashton it did and I didn't do the whole year oh (laughs) (laughs) I'll confess now okay Um, so why not um there were a few reasons so I'd already been through three years of university at the time I was already working as a junior graphic designer for a firm in North Sydney and I was studying at night as well still learning um graphics and so, and then the, the scholarship kind of came along and, and so I said, oh, look, can I come part-time, you know? And then I started trying to juggle things. So I, I went to my employer and said, can I reduce my hours down because I've won this amazing scholarship? And, but the other thing was I had a, um, a trip booked to Europe. So I had all these sort of competing things at the time. And, and was that a study trip for you? It was. Yeah. I went with a really good friend of mine who was um, interested in art as well. Um, and we just backpacked around Europe, um, going to all the museums and the galleries. And yeah. Yeah, Amazing. great fun. Yeah. And so, you know, it's funny because I spoke to Idris Murphy recently and he was saying how important it is to see the great masters and see great art just as a sort of touch point as to what what are you trying to achieve did you, are there, were there any artists I mean I'm putting you on the spot I haven't prepared you for this <laughs> any artists that you saw in Europe like in those museums who can you remember any that you really thought wow I'm blown away you know what I yes is the short answer but um I think I was a little young to fully appreciate what I was seeing and we saw so much. I think even I got sick of going to the galleries in the end because... <laughs> yes, um, yeah, I know. You know, it, it does take up a lot of time and, and it's exhausting. But, um, totally. I've got, this, I've got this theory. You go to a museum, like one of the big ones, 
and you have three paintings you can go and see and if you see anything else that you like that's fine that's a bonus but it's limited you've got limited energy I think yeah yeah um, yeah so you were talking about graphic you were also working as a graphic designer and I think you continued I mean Prue mentioned that you do some work as well for the art gallery do you feel that is like in tandem with your work do you see that feeding into your fine art or do you see that as two separate areas? A bit of both really. I try to keep them very separate. Um, I, I see them as almost different sides of the brain in many respects, particularly as I push more abstract. You know, I see the design as, as quite a different job and I suppose it's no different to um, an artist having any job, you know, whether they're a landscaper or a carpenter or a waiter, you know, I, I do try and keep it separate. There's the obvious um, similarities with using colour, using composition and those sorts of formal elements. I suppose one is on a computer, which makes a huge difference. Yeah, and that's probably why I don't use so much technology in my art. You know, I've got the graphic design and that's all on a computer. So you wouldn't use Photoshop to manipulate a photo? Oh yeah, maybe I do. It's actually a very handy tool in those preparation stages. Yeah. You can get a sense of, oh, what would happen if I did that without sort of changing it on the canvas or whatever. Yeah, and not so much probably why, um, while the painting is going. It's oh, okay. usually as I'm planning it in my head. So I might have a series of photos and I might sort of just quickly jumble a few together to make a scene that I prefer to the real one. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Actually, we'll talk a bit more about the actually the show that you've got on at the moment in a second. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I didn't answer really anything about Julian Ashton. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Julian Ashton is they're so strict. I don't know if they were strict when you were there. Very strict. Yeah, and so you sort of feel like you can't be expressive or it, it's like you're learning the basics and that you're going to learn the basics the way we teach you. In yeah, and, so, and that's why I found it so difficult because I'd had three years of uni where they said, let go, you know, be yourself, find your own voice. And then suddenly I'm in this room with the plaster cast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're waiting for the cane to come out, just about, you know, to whack you across the hand. It is funny. I mean, because I have done a couple of classes there and and um, they've got these plaster casts and you have to sight, size, sight, size. Did you do this? Where you have to do it exactly the same size yeah. as, so your page has to be exactly the same size as that plaster cast. And if it's like not quite right, you have to sort of adjust it and you sort of think, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Although I love Julian Ashton Art School. Yeah. If this ever goes online, I'm going to edit that part out. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so I want to jump forward to 2019 now. Obviously, you've had lots of shows in the meantime, mm. but you won the Paddington Art Prize. And that is a very big prize. Everybody finds out about the winner of the Paddington Art Prize. So, um, and it was with a work called um, Yellow Box Gully. It came out of an artist's residency on the Turon River. Can you tell me a bit about the painting and just a bit about that whole experience of winning the prize? Yeah, that was... I mean, every, every artist says it was unexpected, I guess, but I'd never been hung in this prize before. I'd entered year after year after year. It was, it was getting really depressing. Um, and I'm like, well, it's a really big one for landscape painters. That's right. And yeah. it was the big one for me personally because of that. I saw the people who were being hung as my peers um, and I associated myself and my work with them. And to think that I couldn't 
even get hung as a finalist was... Um, wow, that is amazing, not having been hung as a finalist and then winning the mm. first time you're hung as a finalist. It's funny, I was told once, funny story, um, many years before I got hung, I went to pick up my rejected work from, um, from the Paddington Art Prize organisers and I got there and, you know, handed over my ticket and they're like, we, we can't find it. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's huge. It was over two metres long, I think. Big work on board. It was actually a thread bow in Kosciuszko. Yeah. Um, and anyway, they ultimately found it in with the selected works. And it had been selected as one of the finalists, but then they realised there wasn't enough room in the gallery to oh, hang it. No. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I don't God. know whether I wanted to be excited or break down and cry oh how disappointing yeah so that I don't know so that was sort of my first little I almost made it I almost got in I suppose that would have been encouraging as well um, it was it did was it make a difference to your career at that point did you find that it made you know um, when, winning the when you prize. won it yeah I thought it would have more impact than it did mm. um, and I did uh, oh you know I did talk to a couple of galleries who approached me um, and I did get to hang in a few group shows because of it but interestingly no I, I wasn't really sought out by any other galleries but of course then we went into the pandemic of course. so I won the prize at the end of 2019 and then you know sort of everything shifted only you know a few months later yeah right actually that makes a lot of sense because everything sort of shut down, didn't it, more or less a few months later? Yeah, and I, you know, I didn't book any shows and, mm. you know, I had family members that were very unwell and it was just a really tricky time to be trying to organise anything. Yeah, well, actually, it's interesting you raise that because it does feed into this show, mm -hmm. um, those difficult times, feeds into this show that is hanging now at um, Straight Jacket. And uh, I just want to talk about it a little bit because I enjoyed seeing it so much. It was brilliant. Uh, as Prue mentioned, it's called Keep Your Feet on the Ground and Your Thoughts at Lofty Heights. Great title. Uh, and it centres around two mountainous landscapes, Mount Wellington in Tasmania and also Mount Kosciuszko in New South Wales. I just want to start with Mount Wellington, Tasmania. And I think you were telling me that it was hit and miss that you actually got to Tasmania then because it was during it was at the end of 2021, uh, 2021, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it was yeah. just after lockdown two. Um, right, after Delta. So this is last year, yeah. 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 Um, we had tickets booked um, to go to Tasmania. We'd had them booked since the start of the year. And then we all went into lockdown again. And I'm like, oh, we're never going to get there. It's, just, <laughs> it's not going to happen. We're going to have to move these tickets out, you know. And, and funnily enough, that... That trip to Tasmania was my present to myself, really, after winning the Paddington. Oh, That's what really? I wanted to go and do. Is oh, I'd never been to Mona. To get there. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, that was sort of my little reward, and it's just sort of going on and on that we couldn't get there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so then they announced in about Nove late November, I think, that the borders were opening on December the fifteenth last year, and our tickets were December the seventeenth. So um, yeah, so we made it. Well, yeah, know, we had to, you know, jump through some PCR hoops and yeah, yeah, and yeah. get there, but yeah. we did. <laughs> well, I just love that series of works that you did down there, and in particular, there's a, there's a number of works that are inspired by an area called the Organ Pipes, which are really it's a really dramatic uh, geological area where it's a cliff and it's like columns of rock, isn't mm. it? Yeah, the Dolomite. 
um, sort of yeah columns. You must have you must have been thinking about perspective a lot with that because you're low down and you've got these 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 are, the paintings themselves are quite dramatic. Yeah, well, we did this one walk um, and it was called the Organ Pipes Track and it's literally just below the summit and just below the organ pipes. So you are walking under it quite literally and you're looking up and you can see them above you Um, and it is very dramatic. They're beautiful, beautiful works. Um, And I noticed that one of them is called Mother of the Year and you said in your sort of accompanying statement about the show that there's always this sort of juggling between parenthood and being an artist. Always. Can you tell me a bit about that? Um, Yeah, that walk that I wanted to do, it was on my list of things, you know, like I I basically, before we go on a holiday, (laughs) (laughs) I research the places that I want to see and I want to go and the walks I want to do. I'm a planner. and then I sell it to the families. Let's go to Tasmania. Let's, let's have a family holiday. Anyway, so we got down there. The first night, um, my daughter came down very unwell with a, a really bad head cold. And we're like, oh, no, we've brought COVID to Tasmania. <laughs> it's like there are no cases at that point. No, no there were zero cases in Hobart. And I, and I thought, oh, my God, we're going to be on the news. New, Newcastle family brings COVID to Hobart. We're going to be, it's just before Christmas, we're going to be stuck in a motel quarantine over Christmas. You know, when are we ever going to get back? Who's going to feed the fish? <laughs> um, you know, and so it was all doom and gloom, really, that first night. I'm like, oh, this is just terrible. Yeah. You know, sorry, Jenna, I'll should probably be more concerned about your health but but, um, anyway so the next day I get this text message from Tasmania Health and and it says you must go and get tested now and I'm like I put it down well they know (laughs) they're watching us did they just do that routinely or they did it routinely because at the time Newcastle was really going off with COVID cases and you know all those massive lines out of the testing centres so it was just routine yeah and yeah anyway so we had to all go and get tested um, and I'm like well you know this is fine we we need to know all yeah. ended well though obviously. it all ended well we were all negative yeah, she just had a really bad head cold yeah 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 um, but yeah but back to the organ pipes track so poor Jenna this is a couple of days after that on the Monday and it's like we're hiring a car, we're going up Mount Wellington today. Up we drove, we're all organised. We get to the top, I turn around to the back seat and Jenna's crying, she's in tears. And I'm like, honey, what's wrong? She goes, oh, my ears. And what I didn't anticipate was that the altitude of Mount Wellington are just causing her intense pain. Wow, yeah. And I'm looking at the, like the track, the track on August, just there. <laughs> And I'm looking at her and I'm like, you have a disparate, you know, I've got those dissolvable disparate. <laughs> and then I'm like, I've got to get it back down the mountain. I can't, I can't keep her up here. So it's like, everyone back in the car, back in the car. And we drive down the mountain. So I'm formulating a plan on the way back down. Okay, stop at the bakery. We're going to get her a sausage roll, a chocolate muffin. And we're just going to leave her in the room. <laughs> So we literally, we dropped Jenna back to the room. I tucked her into bed, turned on Netflix, handed her a phone, sausage roll, chocolate muffin. So just be a few hours, honey. 
And then we all got back in the car, except Jenna, and drove back up the mountain and did the organ pipes track. Actually, by that time, we just about had to run the organ pipes track. Before we were, it got dark? Um, well, no, we had other, other things booked. Oh, we were highly okay, scheduled. Right. Yeah, juggling. You can't be as free um, when you have other people to think about. But funnily enough, do you find that sometimes limitations, not only with family, but just limitations generally in art, like when you're producing a body of work? Absolutely. I mean, even just, um, I mean, residencies always get me, though, because they're always for like a month. I'm like, I can't can't go away for a month, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of limitations, but but also it means your mind is ticking over constantly. You, You always feel really wired, I think, as a mother... Um, you know, because I've got, you know, four people's schedules in my head, you know, I can be out on an artist residency somewhere just for a week. You know, you're sitting in a field, you pick up your pencil and then suddenly you get a text message. Mum, have, have you seen my drumsticks? <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting in the zone. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, it just takes you totally away. No, yeah, it I does. Totally so you were that. always thinking about it and, you know, leaving Jenna in the room, she was fine. She was lo- loving life, really. She didn't want to go on the bushwalk. And, um, but the whole way, I'm sitting there thinking, what an awful mother. The it's guilt. Just, the guilt. It's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. It must be a natural thing. I mean, I shouldn't sort of say that because, I mean, you know, probably fathers have the same experiences mm. as well. But I think mother guilt is so pervasive mm. with women, you know. It's hard to shake. It is hard to shake. Mm. And, you know, and like... Any parent with some sort of career, um, they all face, you know, decisions and... Compromises. Yeah, yeah. compromises. And, yeah. and, you know, nine times out of ten, really your family comes first. But, you know, it, that incident was nothing that a sausage roll <laughs> couldn't fix. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Okay, let's, let's uh, talk about... I want to talk a little bit about the Kosciuszko paintings because they were really, really interesting. And I, I find it particularly interesting um, the fact that you say that this is a recurring theme for you, Kosciuszko. Is it that place itself has a special place for you? I think so. Um, I mean, our family lived down that way for a few years. We lived in Queanbeyan. Um, my parents bought a motel down there, so... You know, we were close to it. Um, I used to go skiing sometimes as a child um, and then as an adult as well. And I think it's just, you know, our closest alpine region. That's why it was sort of Kosciuszko. Yeah, right. um, that's where we would go for holidays and things. Mm. And um... Well, this body of work that uh, there's a, quite a few quite abstract works in this, in this show. So if you do go to the show, you'll see there's a, a collection of... 12, I don't know if you've got a slide of that. Um, yes, slide. there's a show, an installation shot in the gallery of, of the 12 works. Yeah, so there's 12 works and the, their works are acrylic on board. Most of, the, all the other work is more or less, is oils, I think, and this, these are acrylic on board. And there's 12 of them and they're 40 by 30 centimetres and they're absolutely brilliant. They are abstract works, very energetic, raw works. Can you tell me a bit about those works and how they arose? Yeah, I started them in lockdown one. It's funny how we talk in lockdowns now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sets the scene. Everyone knows what you're thinking at the time. That's right. And and to be honest, I quite enjoyed that we were locking down. You know, I'm someone who, you know, my studio's at home, everything I need is at home, and so I'm quite happy just to be 
there all the time. So I finally had an excuse actually not to leave the house. It was just a time where, yeah, we're stuck at home. I was being interrupted a lot. I wanted to work on something with no pressure, um, something small scale, because once again, that reduces the pressure straight away. And that I could sort of just pick up and leave whenever needed. Um, yeah, and it was also a time where my mum was really unwell. And so, you know, we were going into aged care facilities and hospitals and things like that. So I just needed to keep working, but without that sort of pressure, I suppose, of doing a large oil painting. And I suppose it's more of an resp emotional response in a way. Absolutely. So you'll find, um, and, and that was sort of why they were more abstract, I think. They were more about, um, yes, they're of Kosciuszko, but they're about the feelings you have in the landscape um, and, and other things that influence you while you paint. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I did want them to be abstract. Um, you know, there's representational things that come into them. Um, well, that's an interesting point because I'm interested in that sort of crossover between representational and abstract work. And I find that most artists that I speak to that do abstract work, it, there is a subject usually at the basis of it and I noticed that that other it's also in this slideshow. Oh, there's a Kosciuszko works. <laughs> oh yes there we go and you probably saw another slide where there was 12 the the parrots one that's the yeah. Colleen Art Prize so very colourful um, group of 12 paintings abstract paintings but they were actually as the, the title suggests parrots of Central Australia so each of those paintings actually was a different parrot and it was really that essence of the colour of the parrot, which I just thought was fantastic. Yeah, almost like they were, you know, when you see a bird in flight, you know, in movement, and you just capture sort of these glimpses of pattern and colour, and you know immediately sort of what, what bird it is just from sort of that fleeting glance. Exactly. Yeah, some of those, actually, I looked at a couple of those, and I thought you could... If I, you look at it long enough, you can almost see the bird in it, in a way. You know? Yeah, and there was there was a couple there that, upon reflection now, I think, oh, it was a little bit too too representational or pointing towards it a bit too much. But, um, but yeah, no, I really loved that series. Yeah, I remember um, Anne Thompson telling me that she met Ian Fairweather, one of the famous 20th century artists, and he said he always... And it, he was quite abstract, but he always had a subject. So it's, it's, it, does that evoke an idea when you start with that? I think so. I think I need that. I, I, I'm a very visual person, and so I can't help but be inspired, particularly by the landscape and the things around me. So I just see it as just such a great thing to start with. Yeah. Actually, when I was speaking to you yesterday at the gallery, you were saying that a work will start off with blocks of colour and then it might go abstract or it might go representational. Yeah. Uh, so you won't necessarily know at the beginning which way it's going to go? Um, no. Um, I mean, it depends on the work really, but generally I start them all quite abstract. You know, they're just a series of blocks of colour and marks and, and at some point they turn, you know. And, and it's funny, sometimes I think I'm painting something quite abstract because you're up close and it's a large canvas. And then suddenly, you know, you step back a few metres after you've sort of been going for a while and you think, oh, 
Mm. <laughs> it looks just like it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? And I think that's what, that's what makes a good work of art, mm. is that when you, can, when you go closer to a painting, there's no, you're interested in it from afar, and then when you go closer, there's even more interest in it because of the brush marks. Mm. So, yeah, and I, as an expressive painter, you know, I love paintings that's about paint. I love paint. Yeah. You know, it's not a painting for me without paint. And making those marks is, is the fun bit. You don't just paint landscapes. Well, in the last couple of weeks, was it? The Blue Thumb, you're, you're a finalist in the Blue Thumb Art Prize. I don't think they've actually awarded it yet, have they? So no. you've got, you might win it. But it's an <laughs> it's a unbelievable portrait of um, a Toby, a Toby Cedar, who is a, Nash, a Newcastle Indigenous artist. artist and it's... Um, amazing huge portrait it's of his head and shoulders but it's like 180 centimeters high so if you can imagine and 150 wide so it is big um, and you know I sort of thought wow you know your portraiture is amazing do you enjoy doing portraits no it's terrifying no. <laughs> it's t- <laughs> um, I was terrified the whole time really I was painting it and how did you feel when you showed him um, he actually hasn't come to the studio yet to see the full thing because it was sort of in and out of those um, lockdowns. So I sort of finished it and then I invited him, but then he was in Sydney and then, you know, it okay. just never married up. And, and so I, you never send him a photo? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, you send him a photo. photo. Oh, that's good. It Absolutely. takes the pressure off. Yeah, and, um, but yeah, I find portraits just the pressure. The pressure of a portrait is huge because really, if it doesn't look like the person, everyone's like, oh, pfft. Exactly. You know. <laughs> but you know what, also, at? even if it looks like the person, often I find people don't like their own portrait, if you, you know, yeah. generally speaking. I think it can be quite sort of confronting for them. Yeah, it's difficult, I think, for everyone involved, a yeah. portrait. You know, and unless I suppose you do it all the time, you would get used to that. I think, I, f- I get the feeling, I don't know if this is right, but that a lot of artists who are really good at abstract and landscape work, they, they're also good at portraiture, which you are, and they do portraiture for prizes because the big prizes are <laughs> portrait prizes, which I, Pretty much. I think is, look, I think makes sense um, because you're not going to have a show of portraits. No. You know. um, and, yeah, I must admit, I did, did paint it with prizes in mind, which is why I don't do them very often. I don't like to get away from my practice because it's just distracting, you know, it takes up all this thought and time and generally you don't get hung um, and it just, it interferes with the, what you classify, I guess, as the real work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so Toby, you know, was such a great subject and, you know, I saw him, we had the Warra Warra exhibition in at Newcastle Art Gallery and his sculptures were just incredible. Yeah, and, yeah um, I've seen them too. And then They're I amazing. saw him and I'm like, oh, my God, you're amazing. You know, there's yeah. this face and um, he's larger than life. He's, um, he's a funny guy. And, and so, yeah, so we organised um, to get together for a um, to sketch. Yes. And if that wasn't pressure enough, and this was in a lockdown period as well, so we, we actually did the sketches in the park across the road here outside the gallery. And... So he was there and, and his family and his kids and, and Loretta Morton, the director of the gallery. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, did I need any more pressure? <laughs> this is while you're doing a sketch from life. Sketching from life in the park, yes. Yes, no, that is um, a bit... 
So, and, everyone, and you're the only one sketching. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it was, it's a fantastic portrait. Congratulations. Good luck with that. With that thank um, you. Prize. Now, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your process because I'm, you know, people are always very interested in what goes on in the studio. So well, how do you, would you start off a painting? Do you, do you use drawings? I do use drawings. So usually with any series, it starts in the field. So I've travelled to a new, new landscape. It's, you know, it's either somewhere I've taken myself or I'm with a residency. Um, you do sketches predominantly on site. Um, I take a lot of photos. But yeah, those, those sketches become really valuable. And, w and when I get home, I, you know, I print out all the photos. I put all the sketches up on the wall and just sort of surround myself you know, with that material. Yeah. Um, when you go to the landscape and you're deciding what to sketch, how do you decide what, how you're going to limit that, that um, vision? Because it can be really overwhelming, especially if you're in a really dramatic landscape. Um, no, I, I don't know when I'm first out there. And what I prefer to do is rather than madly sketching everything I see, which a lot of artists do, they get out there and they pump out like 50, <laughs> 50 drawings. And I'm sitting there going, I've done one. <laughs> um, I like that time where you can just sit and look at it. I like to just be in it and you can watch it and you can watch how the elements affect it and you can watch the light as it changes. Would you make notes on the drawing? No. No colour notes or anything like that? No, I sort of see as the photos are enough. Yeah. Um, if I want to refer back to colour or actual form, um, then the photos are enough for that. But also I find, and with my paintings, um, that colour, it's a bit like when you go on holidays, when you're there sometimes you know, things go up and down and not always goes to plan. And, and when you get home, maybe your memories are fonder than when you were in amongst it. You know, the colours were a little bit brighter than they seemed in the photos that you took. Or, yeah. and, um, and so I like that idea of when you get back that the memory is um, better than perhaps it was and brighter. And, and that's where a lot of the brighter colours in my work kind of come from you know if, if I've say used a violet or or pink or something it's it might have been something that I saw in the shadows you know in one tiny little area mm. um, but then I'll just take that and run with it all through the painting yeah right and also the painting itself must take over at a certain point especially when it comes to color as well yeah, um, the painting starts to require things as you move along because you know it's a painting, it's not a landscape. So, you know, what, what might have looked good out in the field doesn't necessarily translate to a good painting. Yeah. You know? And sometimes you do need to change things up. Sometimes you realise that, you know, there's a, an area of the painting that's just dead and, and needs work or, or that there's a polarising section of it that stops your eye from travelling around it. So they're all just problems to solve as you work on yeah, it. Yeah, as you're working on it. Do you ever find you get to a point where you think this is just not working, I'm going to ditch it? <laughs> All the time. Do you? Do you? <laughs> really? Oh, look, you know, painting is infuriating. It, <laughs> it, it is infuriating. You, you start, you're so excited. I love starting new works. I could start a new work every day. Yeah. 
and you're slapping on the paint and you're thinking I'm a genius and, <laughs> and it's just going to be great and it's you know it'll be the best painting I've ever done and then you sort of hit these middle sections and you're like god it's awful it's just <laughs> it's not working at all I've gone all muddy over here it's just I don't know what I'm going to do and then you start a new work no yeah, right but but you come back to it I have to leave things and then come back to it sometimes you push through it a bit and you can sort of just get past that initial hurdle where it's not so awful anymore and you can kind of see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel so yeah. would you say so you that artists talk about seeing things with fresh eyes do you say so you would turn it to the wall or something like that for a while or yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you just put them away um, yeah. and then come back to it. Sometimes you persist. It just depends yeah, yeah, on yeah. how close that deadline is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, it's in, with oil painting also, um, I suppose there's the added problem of working into something later because when it's dried, it's a different process than if it's still wet. Mm. So if it's dried and you've got to come over it again, is that more difficult? Um, yes, it is. Even though like some paintings I completely abandon and then I just start a new painting over the top and, and that can be wonderful. You know, I love having the ground already there, mm. you know, because, you know, inevitably there's some good things happening in that old painting and it can really give it, uh, you know, more depth you know, yeah, when there's something underneath. Well, I've noticed that in some of those paintings, there are some, it looks like, not, not that there's a previous painting underneath, but you've used a coloured ground at the beginning. Yeah. Um, would you always do that? Like the one of them looked like quite orange, like a bright orange with just peeking through here and mm. there. Almost always I'll put down a ground of some description. And it's usually a contrasting colour to how I think the palette will run in that particular painting. So there's a lot of greens in these latest works and so I chose more of a reddy, pinky um, colour to have underneath and and that just, you know, makes the green seem greener. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just yeah, that, yeah. Um, I suppose you've got to be, it's, that's a judgement also as to how much you're going to let peek through. And there's, Yeah, there's, an, there's a real art actually yeah. to, to what you leave behind and that's actually something I, I, I learnt at Julian Ashton, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite funny because I had Ni do you Nigel Thompson, who's a oh, famous yes, portrait yes, painter. Yes. He won the Archibald. Yes, yeah. yeah. And he, um, you know, I was doing this awful painting. No doubt he was humouring me, but I, I remember him saying to me, look, sometimes it's what you choose to leave, which is the most important part of the painting. So that's just one little phrase from there that, that stuck with me. That's after I graduated from the plaster cast room. They allowed <laughs> me to have a paintbrush. Yeah, yeah, that was an exciting graduation. While we're talking about colour, one of my favourite questions to artists is um, the question of black. Because mm. black is a, can be a very complicated colour. Uh, when it's come straight out of the tube, a lot of people argue that it can be very dead. Uh, and so how do you approach black or do you use black in your paintings? Sometimes. Um, I try not to. I keep hearing those little voices in the back of my head that go, no, it's bad. It's bad. Don't use it. <laughs> kill your painting. But inevitably, yes, yeah, sometimes I do because I sometimes feel the, the, you know, the black that I mix um, just isn't quite dark enough. 
Um, right. So I will still mix the black, so it might be you know a blue and a, and a brown, um, but then I may throw in a little bit of black as well, just to get yeah. that extra richness yeah. um, in there. And you I were telling me Payne's Grey is one of your favourite. I love colours. Payne's Grey. Payne's Grey is a bit. It's a bit. It's very dark. It can be. Well, it's a very sort of grey blue, um, yeah. and I just, I just, I don't know. It's just a colour I love, and and I feel like it, it works in almost every landscape. I mean, unless you're in like tropical Queensland, maybe. <laughs> but um, I find because I mix my tones then, so Payne's Grey sort of features. But then I'll bring in a red, and that might be an alizarin crimson, and that gives a nice sort of violety colour um, or purple. Or you can bring in a um, red oxide or a light red. Um, oh, so you mix your purples. You yeah. don't. You don't use purple from the tube. No, I do that too. It depends on the series, um, but I prefer to mix. And even if I do bring in like a um, a violet or a, you know straight from the tube. Often I'll dilute it with the Payne's Grey as well, or at least in areas, and I find it makes the colour across the whole painting more cohesive. It works when when the colours are mixed. Yes. Um, otherwise, you've sort of got these strange, you know, blobs of colour that mm. don't necessarily tie in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Actually, you know those colours. I, I think it's got something to do with those colours um, in in the show. They, for some reason, it, may, it, it makes me feel like it's very spiritual sort of paint. Do you ever feel like those works have got any sort of element of spirituality about them? Uh, We're harking back now to the show, but... Um, yeah, I don't know about spirituality. Um, but there's something ethereal about it. Yeah, and, and maybe it's just that um, sort of they become a bit dreamlike, maybe. And, and, you know, we can go back to the title of the show with... You know, I don't have any problem keeping my feet on the ground. I've got family and a job and, and all of that. But it's, it's important that those thoughts are at lofty heights, um, you know, even if your feet are firmly on the ground. And, and I think with painting, you know, it's a good escape for those thoughts. Also, I wanted to ask you another question I ask a lot of artists is, how they get into the flow of painting. So in getting into that zone um, where you just feel like it's just happening, nat happening naturally. Oh, look, that's really difficult to get in. There's like about five cups of tea. <laughs> you know, you walk into the studio and you think, oh, just, I'll just tidy that up. And I kind of pace, I pace the studio and I'll you know, sort of look at the paintings out of the corner of my eye and, you know, sort of try and catch them unawares. Like sometimes I'll drag them out into the backyard and I'll walk to, you know, the far corner of the lawn and I'd let them catch me by surprise a bit because then those bits sometimes that aren't working will jump out at you a yes. bit more and yeah. like you'll sort of turn, you'll look at it and you go, oh, it's that bottom right corner. <laughs> That's you know? true, isn't it? And you might yeah, not yeah. know exactly what it is about that corner, mm. but you go back in and think, okay, well, this is what I'm going to try. Um, but, yeah, getting into the rhythm, I think it can be hard. You know, I do turn up a bit cold, you know what I mean, in the morning. And um, once I start painting, it's usually fine. Mm. Um, so some healthy procrastination beforehand. Yes, yeah. usually. What's your other form? Have you got any other forms of 
procrastination, your favourite <laughs> form of procrastination. Not social media? Oh, yeah. Everyone gets stuck on a bit of social media. It's yeah. like, I'll oh, just see what they're doing today, you know. Or, yeah. or, you know, I really want to channel this person's work a bit and feel, you know, a bit of their freedom, you know, and I'll just look them up. So you find that that can be helpful rather than detrimental sometimes? Oh, I think the jury's still out on that. <laughs> yeah, at we don't the know time, the long-term effects yet. Yeah, at the time I like to think it's helpful. Um, and at the very least it's a bit inspiring. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, that's right. But more than not, yeah, I, after a couple of cups of tea, I've shuffled things around the studio, I'll hit go on a serial killer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> also no music, not music in the studio? Sometimes. Um, I used to only have music before podcasts existed. I would yeah. play music. Yeah. Um, but now it's mostly podcasts. And mostly I think it's so that you can be less... Um, present while you paint so that it becomes you know sort of more intuitive so your mind is sort of thinking about what they're saying to you on the podcast but your hand is doing and you know your eyes are watching and it just um, yeah it's just something else that takes away from the present situation so that you can just you know, you, the muscle memory of your hand and you just sort of get into more an automatic space while you paint. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what most artists are trying to find a way to do that. And if you can find the way to do it, it's the best, you know. Well, Belinda, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. We could speak for another hour easily. And um, thank you all for coming today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with Belinda today. Thank you. What a fabulous artist. You can find links to Belinda's website and other things we talked about in the show notes. In other exciting news, the Sydney Modern Project, which of course is the extension to the Art Gallery of New South Wales, is officially opening in a few days on the Saturday, the 3rd of December, and I'm going to be at the media preview on the Tuesday, the 29th of November, and I'll be posting lots of snippets on social media, so join me there. There are also lots of celebrations planned, so go to the Art Gallery's website for all the details if you happen to be in Sydney at that time. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. And and I find the most valuable things I do out there is usually just quick sketches. They're just impressions, um, and I just find they're a bit more honest and more intuitive. Um, which is helpful when you're back in the studio.